Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm your host, Anne Remy. I'm a counseling psychotherapist, yoga teacher, and trauma specialist living in Brighton, UK. On this show, we interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. But we're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level, from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Anne. Oh, hi, Sarah. How you doing? Well. Well. Yeah. The world. Yeah. So, yeah, being that this is the first time we are in front of the mic since the Middle East conflict has erupted... We wanted to at least acknowledge and, you know, we just spent 20 minutes talking about how we want to do this. Do you want to start? Yeah. So it goes without saying, but we're going to say it anyways, that our hearts are with the innocent victims of conflict on either side of any border, really, in any situation. And we think that all people should be able to live without fear of anything like this ever happening to them. And that we both recognize that this conflict is the direct result of colonization and white supremacy. And it feels really important to say that. Yep. White supremacy is winning. Like no matter who you are in this this conflict, white supremacy is the winner. And that fucking sucks. And that's not to label one side or the other as white supremacists. It's to say that... This conflict comes about from a history of white supremacy and colonization. And it's really important context to know that. I also want to acknowledge that I am not unbiased in this situation because I did live in Lebanon for a brief time. So as much as that kind of informs my opinion and my understanding of this situation, it does feel important to disclose that, that I cannot be unbiased. And I know that, Sarah, you're in the process of learning more about the history of this conflict. And I think it's so Mm -hmm. important and incredible that you are doing that. Well, you know, the coolest thing that's happened, because I posted a couple things on Instagram that honestly are pretty, like, not talking about the conflict as much itself, but talking about the process of learning and, you know, inviting other people to learn with me. And the coolest thing that's happened is like, while there are definitely people who have posted shitty responses and, you know, are saying that I'm supporting Holocaust or genocide or whatever it is, people that know me, and it's not even people that I know, like, for real, for real, but like my Instagram friends, People have been DMing me and like, hey, I've been listening to this podcast or I have had two Jewish friends who have contacts in Israel say, hey, would you love to have a conversation about this? And I'm like, yes. And somebody sent me a podcast yesterday and then I listened to it like almost immediately and I I messaged her back right away. She's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're listening to it. And I'm like. I'm not making this up. Like I, when I say I'm educating myself, I'm actually doing it. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the coolest thing that for me that's come out of this is I am, even though it's kind of a small minority, I am seeing people come together to mm. help each other understand because that's what has been pissing me off more than anything about like, I mean, the conflict is fucking horrific. Mm-hmm. Duh. But aside from that, it's kind of like 
pain versus suffering, right? Pain exists and it's there and you can't necessarily have a life without pain, but suffering is the option. Mm. And I think that we're creating a lot of suffering by going at each other. Mm. Like somebody came at me <laughs> on social media and I'm like, you don't know me. Like you see what I posted and you're making a ton of assumptions and I know that a lot of people are doing performative allyship, but like, why? Why are you? Why are you coming at me? Mm -hmm. Why? So don't fucking come at people. Yeah. Invite them along with you. Yeah, and I think that shame, shame is never a way to learn or to teach or to motivate. Right. And I think you know that tenant actually transitions very well, queen of the segue into my conversation with Olive today. Yes. So you are the queen of the segue. Nailed it. So <laughs> Olive and I have a really interesting conversation about bodies and about how we work with our bodies and how we use our bodies and how we exercise our bodies. And just a content warning, we do talk about history of eating disorder and we talk about issues around losing weight and and working out. And if that's something that you're sensitive to, this may not be the episode for you. Well, and I was just going to share with listeners something that you and I just talked about before we started recording. And I'm going to ask our editor to bleep out a couple things, which I've never bleeped an episode before because I love cussing. So I've, I will never bleep a cuss word. But you and Olive both share how much you weigh mm. or have weighed. And as soon as numbers were said, I started shaming myself mm -hmm. instantly. Mm -hmm. And I got completely distracted and totally off of the topic of what you were actually saying. And so even though there's nothing offensive about how much you weigh, mm -hmm. I want to bleep it just so that listeners don't get hijacked yeah. and miss the good message that y'all were actually sharing. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's so important that you brought that up in your own experience of hearing that. And as you'll hear, Olive and I are sharing kind of our own journeys with our relationships with our bodies and how that's evolved through yoga and through exercise and through eating. And, you know, I think when we talk about shame, there is so much that we carry around our bodies and whether it's educating yourself on certain situations, whether it's your relationship with your body or with food or with exercise, there is nothing to be ashamed of. You're mm -hmm. doing the best you can. And that feels like a very important message in today's climate and with yeah. today's topic, really. I dig. Yeah. So with that being said, I would love to introduce you to my friend, Olive. Olive Walton is a movement coach who shares movement practices from yoga to strength training mobility to handstands and leads with curiosity and playfulness for the body and mind. Olive's bio is short and sweet, and I like it, and it explains exactly what she does. So please enjoy this episode with Olive. Are you a therapist stepping into leadership for the first time? Or maybe you've been in a leadership position for a while, but are bumping up against new struggles. It's a transformative journey and one that can be deeply rewarding, but also filled with unique challenges. Many therapists find themselves in leadership positions because of their exceptional therapeutic skills, yet leading, supervising, or managing others requires a whole new set of competencies not covered in graduate school. Our Authentic Leadership Group is here to help you become the authentic and wholehearted leader you aspire to be. And we believe this journey is best undertaken with the guidance of experienced mentors alongside fellow learners. Authentic Leaders will run February 2024 through September, meeting once monthly on Fridays for 90 minutes. 
Join me in this journey of self-discovery and leadership mastery, where you'll enhance your leadership skills and forge meaningful connections with fellow therapists who are committed to their own growth and the betterment of the therapy field. To join me and start registration, go to www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash authentic dash leaders dash group. That's headheartbiztherapy.com slash authentic dash leaders dash group. Hey, Olive, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hey, um, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's been a busy week but also felt pretty scatterbrained <laughs> this week as well, which has been quite fun to navigate and deal with. But I've had a lot of conversations with friends and clients who have also felt the same, which is always quite validating. <laughs> There's uh, Something's going on right now because I've, mm. I've been feeling that as well. And I, a lot of my clients have been saying the same thing. So Right. Yeah. Like I'm not super clued up on astrology, but one of my friends was telling me that it's Mercury retrograde and then also there's like five other planets in alignment so I was like oh okay (laughs) yeah I so I don't know much my co-host when she listens to the episode and we record the intro will be able to comment on this because she knows (laughs) but yeah if many things are in retrograde then I think that that's a thing yeah intense yeah so Olive I'm gonna let you introduce yourself tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do cool okay so I guess in the broader sense, I am a coach. So from two ends of the spectrum, I'm a yoga teacher and I'm also more recently a personal trainer. I don't necessarily align with the word personal trainer for various reasons. So I like to say strength coach. However, it's less obvious, I guess, what that entails sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I just use those kind of phrases. But yeah, I teach yoga, I teach strength and weightlifting, and I like to explore sort of everything in between. So from general kind of floor work and movement to mobility practices, to handstands, to animal flow, I like to cover a range of different things. Mm -hmm. Because from my personal background that's what I like to do so whatever I like to do I like to share with my students and my clients as well Mm. and my approach quite often is to lead with curiosity and to explore things with this idea of playfulness and to just tap into the inner child because conversations that I've had recently with a lot of people and a lot of students is how their first-hand experiences when it came to physical education was pretty negative and they had a really negative framework around movement, around their body, around just sort of like sports and training, which has been carried on into their adult life. So a big part of what I do is sort of breaking down those barriers that they've had, reframing their perspective, working with a more positive, like playful attitude with that. Mm -hmm. So that's ultimately what I want to facilitate through my coaching. Yeah. (laughs) So I love this. And so Olive and I know each other because we, well, until recently, taught at the same (laughs) yoga studio. Yes. And I actually took over one of the classes that you were giving up. Mm -hmm. And it was such a, it was actually a very sort of seamless flow into me Mm. teaching because I teach very similarly to you in that it's curiosity, it's exploration. It's like, let's bring our inner Mm. child into this class and like, what happens if you move like this? What happens if you move while you're doing this? And 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, just inviting that like self-compassion and and making it a little bit fun. And I think that yeah. what you know, I've been to your classes and what I have found mm. as a student in one of your classes is that it, I quite often go, "Oh, wait, I never thought to move my shoulder like that mm. when I'm in this place or I would have just sat here in stillness because I didn't even think about the fact that I have the option to move my body however I want to." And your sort of encouraging of that Mm -hmm. curiosity really helps restore agency and, yeah, safe curiosity with with your own body, Mm. my own body, anyone's own body, yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's like, it's really nice to hear that as well from someone else because sometimes it's really easy to get in my own head about what I'm teaching and what I'm delivering Mm. like there can be moments where I have like the inner critic is very very strong and it's like does this even make any conceptual sense Mm. (laughs) to anyone and I think I've started to unpack and understand why recently so my sort of journey into teaching was I guess fairly unconventional I grew up doing like a lot of sport at school. I was always training. I was always moving, always competing. And then I taught myself yoga for about four and a half years. Mm. And the way that I taught myself was literally by screenshotting images that I had seen off these big yoga accounts on Instagram and just trying to recreate the shapes that they have. Wow. So yeah, there were like three particular people that I used to follow. And ironically, they all lived in Dubai, which is where I grew up. So I was like, oh, cool. There are people in Dubai practicing yoga. And so, yeah, I basically ended up creating like a backlog of all these screenshots, trying to figure out how I could get into the movement. And eventually I was able to kind of compile my own flow with like what I had kind of learned. Mm -hmm. And I would like film myself as well to be able to like watch back and observe my shapes and things because obviously there was no teacher there to tell me what I was kind of doing. So I was just like doing my own thing and that kind of lasted for four and a half years. And over time, I think I maybe watched one or two YouTube videos but didn't really get on with what I saw. I went to a couple of classes but again I was a bit confused. I didn't understand a lot of the concepts like pranayama, like chanting. I just kind of wanted to move and the teachers or the classes that I went to didn't really facilitate how I wanted to experience things. And then after I finished uni I went to do my yoga training because I wanted to have a little bit more formal education with it. Mm. I wanted to learn about the history. I wanted to learn about the breath and the wider components other than just yoga asana. And when I was there, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I like this, but I found aspects of some of the teaching quite challenging, a little bit restrictive because mm. I did Ashtanga. Ah, okay. <laughs> so explain, so explain why that's, yeah, explain why that's funny for people who yeah. may not know what that. <laughs> so Ashtanga is. It can be a very great practice, don't get me wrong. Mm. It, you know, gave me a lot very early on, but it's the same postures every single time you do the flow, every time you do the sequence. So it's incredibly regimented. And if you go to a traditional kind of teacher, if you cannot execute quotation marks, (laughs) the pose, Mm. how they want you to execute it to its end range, you're not allowed to progress past to the next pose which in my head is like way too restrictive and yeah. is way too problematic. So I, I don't agree with that. Even when I teach modified Ashtanga, it's so entirely mm-hmm. different. 
And I know you're very, very similar. So yeah, I was like, okay, cool. I'll take it for what it is. But then when it came to my own teaching very, very early on, I was quite experimental with how I taught. And again, I never really had like a mentor or a teacher that I continuously went back to. So now like circling back to my original point, the way that I teach is the way that I wish I was taught. And it's from not having that kind of role model to look up to. That sounds really egotistical. I'm my own role model. No, but I, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, I I I 100% agree actually because I I've kind of felt the same thing. The way I teach is the wish I way oh. I was I wish the whatever. <laughs> we all know what yeah. I'm trying to say. So, <laughs> and I think because you either get people who are really really regimented whether it's Ashtanga or not, people who are like, this posture must look perfect, your heels need to be mm. on the floor, or, you know, whatever. Or you get people who are almost too loose in some ways, mm. where where mm-hmm. there's not enough structure to, or maybe not enough guidance. So I've had a lot from different polarities. Yeah. But until I moved to Brighton, actually, I never really had teachers who were kind of encouraging this curious embodiment. So I really hear you when you say, like, I wish I was taught like this. Mm. And I'm really curious. I want to come back to this idea of you taking screenshots and making videos of yourself because my brain Mm. went to, were you really self-critical with that? Or what was that like for you as you were doing Mm. that? Were you looking at yourself with compassion were you looking at yourself with a perfectionist like what was going on there yeah so this is interesting because this was right at the start of my eating disorder okay and like prior to that like I grown up I've had I still have like body dysmorphia so right at the start it was like a comparison thing and I was like desiring creating these particular shapes at the time I was also over exercising as well and I think a lot of the time I just wanted to I could quite easily dissociate between just creating the shapes and the way that my body looked Mm. if I wanted to Mm -hmm. but it was definitely also driven like cool let's see if I can like create this with my body Mm. and there were definitely thoughts of like oh if I can do this and make this and my body's gonna look like you know the three people that I saw Mm -hmm. and it's gonna change and it's gonna become like this and it's taken me a long time to obviously realize you know that anatomically I'm very very different Mm. to those individuals and bone structure and the way that you hold muscle the way that you hold fat is so individualistic but as that wounded 17 18 year old seeing that and then when my shape didn't reflect theirs it was quite hard to deal with Mm -hmm. and that's really interesting you picked up on that because I haven't really thought about that in a long time Mm. but yeah it's So, yeah, my brain immediately went to, especially as a teenager, Mm. if I were doing that, I know Mm. that I would have been in this, you know, I didn't struggle with an eating disorder, but I absolutely struggled with Mm. like the shape my body was and like, you know, having Mm. like my boobs grew in really early and I was really self-conscious about that and really like, so yeah, that's exactly where my brain went. And it's interesting to hear Mm. Now I'm curious about the way that because you're so body focused and using different sort of 
bodily methods, I guess, mm. of healing, of working with others, yeah. how that how that supported you through your eating disorder, if that's something you're willing to kind mm. of share with us. Yeah, I'm a pretty like open book when it comes to talking about this because it happened, you know, when I was 18, I'm like, now, I'm now 27. So it happened like a long mm. time ago. And the individual I was then is fairly unrecognizable mm. because so much has happened in that period of time like it feels like a lifetime ago and it's really interesting to look back at photos of myself from that time and be like completely detached from it and it's it's weird because I would never ever lead with a regret or think about it being a regretful time of my life there was a lot of hurt that I put on myself and like my family members but it ultimately also in a really weird twisted way led me to where I am now <laughs> yeah yeah so can we go back to your point because I completely <laughs> sidetracked and I was like <laughs> no though you were you were actually like going with the point you know my question was around I guess the journey from eating disorder mm. to coaching other people and mm. supporting body positivity yeah. and strength and yeah. curiosity and like I would say safe exploration of your own body yeah, I think like having gone through that, it's perhaps in part easier to empathize when clients have those existing frameworks in their mm -hmm. head as well, or if they've had their own journey with it. So what I, I always try to listen, which is always like the first thing, right, whenever it comes to people navigating these kinds of spaces. But the biggest thing for me, I guess, it's more prevalent in clients who come to me to train at the gym because there's always these like connotations around getting a personal trainer. It's like, oh, I want to go for like weight loss. I want to go for fat loss. I'm going to be on like a diet and it's going to be super, super restrictive. But I'm being really directly honest. I cannot give a shit about <laughs> any of those yeah. things. I'm not the coach to come to if you want weight loss or fat loss or you want to be on top of your nutrition. Like, by all means, if you want that stuff, you know, go for it. But I'm I'm really not the person for that. I'm not interested in it. And I'm also not, I'm like happy to say that I'm not that, you know, well-versed mm. in that kind of sphere. Mm -hmm. My main interest is moving, reframing your perspective around things, like reclaiming your own power with your body, mm. learning like a better perspective and like and also just feeling fucking strong. <laughs> That's the main thing. Such a vibe. What you know? does feeling strong feel like <laughs> to you? Feeling strong is like being able to just literally do anything. Like the way that I like to think about it, the way I like to think about my clients is they're athletes. Like they're training the way they're moving is to just be able to do anything to like to be able to go run down the street, to be able to like jump over a wall or like to be able to pick up something heavy. It's like stuff that obviously transfers in like day-to-day -day life, but you know, walking up the stairs and not feeling out of breath or like doing things that you never thought you could do and just feeling like solid in your body. Mm. And also like, of course, there are like comments as well that come in from other people when you do start to train. It's like, you look strong, like, mm. I love that. Like one of my clients this week, she actually said to me, I've been training Krista for about two and a half months now. And that's kind of around the time where visible changes start to come in and other people start to pick up. And she was like, Olive, one of my boyfriend's mom said to me that you're like, you're looking really strong. And I was like, hell yeah, hell dude. Yeah. Like, we love that. That is the kind of affirming comment we want to hear. 
so yeah when it comes to like training my clients I'm just like dude I just want you to feel strong as fuck that's the main thing do you know what I mean but I love that because you know I um I've gone to personal trainers before where I'm filling Mm. out this big long sheet about like how much Mm. weight I want to lose which is like I'm gonna tell you right now I have weighed pounds for the past Mm -hmm. probably 10 years and my body has looked massively different during those Mm -hmm. 10 years Mm -hmm. and you can look at pictures of me 10 years ago and go that's not what you look like now but I weighed the exact same right so like I have given up on this I stopped weighing myself you know because like Mm. is what my body is trying to weigh regardless of how Mm -hmm. much muscle or non-muscle or you know whatever is going on that's just I'm not trying to fight it, you know, and, you know, how much fat do you want to lose? I don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's sometimes it's just trying to be there. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, I need it. Sometimes I just, we need fat on our bodies. And, you know, I think I, I have gone through this idea of like, Mm. yeah, like, oh, I should lose a lot of fat and I should lose a lot. And I'm Mm. like, but I've noticed like sometimes when I lose fat off of my body, I'm like, I don't, Mm. I don't actually feel as functional or I'm Mm -hmm. not, you know, like I can fit into this thing better, but like it's, I don't feel as okay. And so there's these ideas of like losing fat and losing weight Mm. is going to make you look better and feel better but that's not always true a hundred percent and like for again for a little bit of perspective so when I was at my lowest weight at that 18 year old version of me like she was kilos and I'm now like I haven't weighed myself in a while but I'm about like okay that yeah that is not good well it's (laughs) you know but it also I think it speaks to your transformation in so many ways. Like, oh. Yeah, like, you know, at the time I thought I was going to be significantly happier when, you know, I got that thigh gap, I had like a flat belly, mm. blah, blah, blah. But the reality was that I was like so exhausted all the time. I was so cold. I was always mm. like hungry. Food was always on my mind, like movement for me back then like the yoga and the gym was in essence a form of punishment Mm. and I know that's a you know framework that a lot of people unfortunately still are navigating but it was like I didn't do it because I intrinsically enjoyed it I did it because I was like I feel like I have to I feel like I got to burn off all the food that I ate and like there was like deep loathing that I had for the way that I looked even though I was you know I hit my ideal like thigh gap Mm. (laughs) and I was at my lowest weight whereas now like I'm obviously like a hell of a lot heavier I've regained the weight that I need to have on my body but I'm arguably so much happier and I move genuinely for the pure enjoyment Mm -hmm. of it like whenever I step in the gym I also I've now got reached a point where I just eat what I want to eat Mm -hmm. it's taken me a long time to navigate Mm -hmm. there but it's fine But yeah, I train now because I'm like, well, it's fucking cool as hell to be able to do so many different things. Like, why wouldn't I want to? (laughs) But that sounds like a celebration of your body. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it's taken me time to get there. And I understand that everyone's on their own little journey and it will take people time. Sometimes, you know, it will take a lot longer for others. But if I can be there as like a small facilitator of that, Mm -hmm. I'm all here for it. Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
Yeah. Hell yeah. Thinking of starting your own private practice? Join me for a two-day in-person training, providing what you need to start your own practice on November 9th and 10th in Chicago. The thought of running your own practice can be scary for some, but with a few expert tips, it can be a breeze. This NASW course will provide an overview of what you need to start and maintain a private practice. It will be an action-packed two days where you'll learn the business 101s, build your brand, and create a marketing plan. Participants will leave the course with sample forms, actionable next steps to build a thriving business, and 12 CEUs. The cost is $159 for NASW members and $199 for non-members. Visit tinyurl.com slash NASW private practice to register. That's tinyurl.com slash NASW private practice. Well, how do you feel about the term wounded healer? Hmm. I think it's interesting because I've never thought of myself as that. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to now think of myself in that kind of framework. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would ever describe myself as a wounded healer. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are definitely parts of me that like that 18 year old version was so hurt Mm -hmm. and wounded by things that had happened. And I've grown past that and I have healed from it. But like, As we all know, healing is still a very, very up and down journey. It's never, ever linear. So we're still on it. And there's still, you know, periods of time, like literally just last week where I was like, oh, I can feel those little like dark thoughts in the back of my brain wanting to come forwards. Uh And like, they're just like, hi, we're still here. I'm like, okay, (laughs) you are. So it's like acknowledging that. But for the most part, there has been massive amounts of growth I think wounded healer it helps to create like a little bit more context as well Mm. if I was to say to someone like you know I'm a wounded healer or something people like okay cool she's kind of gone through some shit but you know she's out the other end now so yeah it helps to create context but I don't know if I would ever use it to describe myself yeah that's fair the the Mm. reason I asked it then was I think I was thinking Mm -hmm. about it's not a term I would necessarily ever use for myself either but I was thinking about what the term means in general or like how I would define the term and I was thinking about the idea of turning what was something painful into your superpower that's cool I like that and I think what you're telling us is that's that's what you've done Mm, and then not only yeah. your superpower, but then using that superpower to support others mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the same vein. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that perspective. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really nice. And I think it's also, you know, what she said about like, oh, yep, the other day those thoughts were kind of there. Mm. That's so important to hear. Not important to hear. It's important to say. Because I say to my clients all the time, like, you know, they think that some of my, you know, my therapy clients will think that like they'll hit some magic point where these thoughts just don't Mm. come back anymore. And I'm, I'm like, I, I'm going to tell you right now, after all the therapy I've done and becoming a therapist myself, I still get them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There might be some magical point, but I haven't hit it. And I don't think my therapist has hit it and her therapist hasn't hit it. And I think normalizing the idea that we never hit these points where like everything is just fine Mm -hmm. and easy and like you know we're free of the it's it's more learning to manage it and 
how to self-support mm-hmm. when those those moments come up. Yeah, absolutely. And like the way that I've thought about this is that there are like the the peaks and then the troughs with that. And then over the years, the troughs have gotten smaller and smaller because I've been able mm. to like observe it and notice it quicker. And I have better tools in my box to like kind of pull myself out of it, whether that's like through self-regulation or through like reaching out through community or like whatever it is. But they're smaller and less drawn out Mm -hmm. but yeah it's a really good point to make to like to vocalize these things because I think sometimes as well when you're in a position like as a coach or as a therapist people expect you to like be so up there with having done all the work and you're never ever going to be affected by Mm -hmm. things like the amount of times and I'm sure that you've had this as well (laughs) the amount of times when people are like oh my god you must be so zen because you're a yoga teacher or you must like never <laughs> ever get stressed and I'm like, no I was rushing to get here today and I'm like huffing and puffing and stressed out just getting here <laughs> literally I'm like my guy like I'm not gonna bring in my shit to the yoga class like it's you know I've brought in a different version of me to not then push it yeah. onto you so what you're seeing is very very different so I'm like, I try to be as real as I can with my clients. Like today on a call that I literally just had before this, and my client was like, oh, how are you doing? I was like, dude, honestly, <laughs> it's been a week. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like showcasing that I am just another human being. Mm-hmm. I'm a real individual. I'm not on a pedestal or anything like that. Like I don't really like to see hierarchy as well when mm-hmm. I work with my clients. Yeah. I'm like, I'm on the same fucking page as you. It just so happens that this is my line of work and this is my profession and I'm just showing to you, you know, what I've learned. And I think as well that then creates a safe space for them to be playful, to be, you know, tapping into their inner child, to be curious because it's no longer like this weird disparity between Mm. us. That is so, so I think that especially when it comes to yoga, there's, uh-huh. you know, like the teacher knows everything and like the teacher can just like jump up into a handstand and like whatever, mm. you know, and you, you see other people in the class and it's, you know, I love the phrase comparison is the thief of joy. I, oh, my God. It's such, this is like my favorite quote. <laughs> and it's so true, but it doesn't make it easier to not compare yourself. And I think yeah. it only I've been doing yoga on and off for the past almost 20 years and mm. regularly probably for the past like eight nine ish and mm-hmm. I think it was only in the past year and a half where I'm able to go into a yoga class and not compare what I'm doing to somebody else yeah shit. so one of the things I like to do when I teach is if I'm demonstrating something I say it took me five years to figure out how to do this mm-hmm. because I wish mm-hmm. my teachers that I've had in the past would have said that yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. I love when people are like, I have a dancing background, so I'm naturally more flexible because mm-hmm. I look at someone's back bend and I'm like, how is that even physically possible? Or mm-hmm. I love when people say, I lift weights. It's easier for me to push up into some of these things because, mm-hmm. you know, like, because it helps us understand like nobody's body just yeah. magically. Mm -hmm. can do everything and that's like 
what I try to say to like students, I'm like, look, anatomically, we're all mm. very, very different genetically as well. And that plays such a huge role in, you know, flexibility or general strength and everything like that. And I try to say like the shapes that I create are not going to look the same on you. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely fine. But it's still something I think in Brighton, the yoga community here is quite different to other places mm-hmm. where people really do encourage like this curiosity and be like, no, it's very, very individualistic because there's still the wider narrative. Whenever I have a new client, like again, literally happened today. Um, I always ask students injuries, new updates mm-hmm. like that, any concerns. And then the second question I always ask is what's your experience with practicing yoga? Majority of the time people are like, oh, but I'm I'm just really not that flexible and or I can't touch my toes. I'm really, really stiff. <laughs> and I'm like, honestly, I couldn't give a shit. Like in the nicest way, I don't care. I I don't care if you can't touch your toes. Like flexibility is not a prerequisite mm-hmm. to do the practice. Mm-hmm. You gotta come into it with an open mind. But I also appreciate on the other hand, if all you've ever been exposed to with yoga is these like mad back bends or like splits and stuff online or mm-hmm. through other classes or like the previous teachers you've been to where they've not really spoken about differences of course you're gonna have mm-hmm. that like approach to it so again like through my teaching I tried to like gently deconstruct that and be like it doesn't matter if you're not flexible blah 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 do you know what I mean man I <laughs> some days I wake up and I can't touch my own toes <laughs> do you know what I, mean? <laughs> I tell I tell my clients that too I'm like y'all I'm stiff today I went for a run and like maybe I can't demonstrate this for you today because here's what's going on mm-hmm. for me without you know bringing my own shit into it but like yeah, you yeah. need to know that I'm listening to my body Mm-hmm. And you need to mm-hmm. know that you're the expert in your own body. Yeah. Because yeah. I can't, I don't know what's going on inside of you. And I can't mm-hmm. tell you what's better and what's, <laughs> it, like, it's your, you know, like, you got your own mm-hmm. thing going on. And I can just give you ideas and recommendations. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and I'm curious how you, how do you work with that when you're helping people weight train? So with like weight training, there are obviously some specific things that you've got to look at because you've got extra resistance. Mm -hmm. There are more regimented ways Mm -hmm. in which to move, but like everything can be adapted depending on leverages and like femur length, for example, Mm -hmm. or even like your wingspan and stuff like that. It just looks slightly different on different people. Mm. So for example, like when I'm squatting with a barbell on my back, my positioning looks really, really upright Mm -hmm. because I've got quite a short torso. Whereas someone who has a slightly longer torso, their positioning, they have to lean a lot further forwards mm. to facilitate like a more optimal bar path. So I've had like clients before where they were like, yeah, but do I not need to be more upright? I'm like, no, because you got to look at your mm-hmm. anatomy and how it actually works for you. Mm-hmm. So there are there is like a methodology to kind of follow but again it's loose and you do have to just work with the individual Mm. as well and just some things take a little bit longer like when I first started PTing things that like naturally might have come easy to me don't for some of the clients Mm -hmm. and that's fine like for example walking lunges 
a walking lunge because like we do so many lunges in yoga I think I was just used to it but like you know a walking lunge with weights you're looking at coordination you're looking at balance you're looking at knee stability and like there's so many different moving components so it's a lot of the time personal training is about patience with people learning the movements and just taking their time with it and allowing them to understand the movement patterns first before adding like weights to it Mm. weight obviously helps to a degree but I'm never going to be like whack on more on that barbell let's like go for gold you know what I mean I'm like I'd rather you feel safe and comfortable (laughs) so that yeah and that's kind of what I was curious about in terms of like Mm. adding weight because I think naturally a lot of people Mm. would be like you got it let's add it let's go come on like push 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 but you don't really give me the push 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 like let's just chuck (laughs) some weight on there vibe yeah I love that you used walking lunges as an example because I actually <laughs> fall over when I'm doing I can't <laughs> like it's just yeah. for all my core stability. Walking lunges, I, I, I can't. I mean, not with that attitude, yeah. I can't. I can. <laughs> They're just difficult for me. They are. And, they are. And that's even, you know, with all this stuff, I but walking lunges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one of the yoga practices that I'm trained in it's called trauma sensitive yoga Mm -hmm. and it's different from trauma informed yoga and it's a specific Mm -hmm. practice that works with a lot of permission and consent Mm -hmm. and you never touch your clients you actually stay on the mat the whole time and what you're doing is just offering you know you're welcome to raise your arm this is an invitation Mm -hmm. to lower your arm so you're letting people have agency Mm -hmm. over their body and they get to decide if they choose that movement or not Mm -hmm. choose that movement and I've experienced that in your yoga classes in some ways. And I'm wondering (laughs) Mm. where you see agency in weight training specifically, because I think we don't necessarily Mm. think about that. Yeah, I think when it comes to weight training, there are a couple different ways that you can sort of engage with clients and ask them about feedback so whenever we finish a lift I'm always like cool how did that feel in your body Mm. you know like it kind of comes back to the way that I teach I'm like okay how did that feel they're like yeah I felt like this engagement I'm like okay cool and then I tend to use something called an RPE scale so rate of perceived exertion Mm. it's a scale of like zero to ten zero being I could have done that in my sleep ten being like I'm about to die that was so exhausting Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's like, I'm like, okay, cool. On the RPE scale, where would you have put that lift? And it's for like effort, right? So if some people are like, oh, that was probably about a five or six. I'm like, okay, cool. So if you felt like that, there's an opportunity to explore an increase in weight if you wanted to. So I give them that option. I give them that opportunity and let them know that it's there. But I'm always like, look, if you don't want to go up, that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to push you for that. And all of the time people are like, okay, cool. I'm pretty comfortable with that. Like, why don't we take it there? And I always try to explain a little bit of theory with it as well. Mm. Say for example, you're doing 10 reps off a barbell back squat. If your last two reps are a little bit more of a grind, if they're a little bit slower, maybe we stick to the same weight or we even drop it down. Mm -hmm. Like now's not necessarily the time to increase the weight if the last two are a little bit more of a struggle Mm -hmm. and there's a breakdown in form. So I try to explain theory on top of them listening to internal cueing and even external cueing to give them that autonomy over their choice because again ultimately 
I don't want to have to be someone's in-person coach forever because mm-hmm. then I've not done my job. Mm. <laughs> I want to I want to give people, you know, all the tools that they need and the understanding they need to eventually like do it themselves. I can create a program like hands off yeah. for sure and like give that to them, but I want them to learn the movement themselves and feel empowered through that and not kind of like have me as a crutch, quote unquote. Yeah, I love that. My friend told me recently that their therapist said they're in the Mm. business of making themselves unemployed. (laughs) Nice. And like, I low-key love that. Like, I would love, you know, if you want to stay in therapy forever, great. But like, I don't want you to need my services Mm. forever. I want you to, you know, and I think that that I hear that in what you're saying. Like, I want you uh-huh. to feel the confidence to be able to go out and do this on your own and like build, you know, I've given you the tools, like go. I want yeah. you to build this on your own. And I think that that in any type of teacher or coach is so important because the moment mm-hmm. you try to make somebody relying, reliant, there we go. The moment you try to make someone <laughs> reliant on you, there's a power imbalance. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then that circles back to like the whole hierarchy thing Mm. as well, right? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) Talk to me about what advice would you give to women or queer folks, Mm. trans people, non-binary people going into the gym in what is traditionally a very like male-dominated space? So this is really interesting you bring this up because I'm in – the really early stages of hopefully planning and executing something that is going to cater towards like the LGBTQ plus and BIPOC community <gasps> in Brighton specifically around Yay! this. <laughs> so it's, it's actually something that I've been working on this week. So it's like super fresh in my mind. So it's obviously, it can be a very, very challenging space to enter into, which is traditionally very, very, mask dominated by male presenting people and it can be incredibly intimidating and unfamiliar especially if you don't see other role models there so by role model I don't mean like this fucking like fitfluencer on Instagram (laughs) I just mean your average person who kind of maybe looks like you Mm -hmm. or isn't part of the same community as you and I think I don't know I'm still trying to figure out how I got to a place where I'm very, very comfortable in the gym. I think early on it was pure stubbornness mm. with over-exercising and just being like, yeah, I'm here. And that kind of clouding like my thoughts and judgments mm-hmm. with it. Because I always used to train in like some real grotty gyms, mm-hmm. like where they were like bodybuilders and all of this. And I was like, I don't give a fuck um, because I had my own agenda. But over the years, I have noticed like the way that I tend to navigate a space like this, and it's more of a coping mechanism. I always have my headphones plugged Mm -hmm. in, so I never really hear like external environment noise. But I also have the worst lifting bitch face. (laughs) I look hella unapproachable. And in part, it's because I'm really concentrating on what I'm doing, Uh particularly with Olympic lifting, like when I'm pulling a barbell over my head, like I'm concentrating like hell, you know? Yeah. So whether or not those are coping mechanisms, you know, that those are the things that have helped me sort of get really comfortable in the gym. And I'm now at a space where I, I don't need to rely on them. But for individuals who are wanting to get into the gym and it's an intimidating environment, I would say, first of all, like perhaps find a coach that 
you want to work with or that you really, really trust mm-hmm. to bring you into that space in a safe, in a controlled way who can teach you and show you how to use all the various equipment. Mm-hmm. Or secondly, at least if that's not like readily available to you, then perhaps like go with a friend, mm-hmm. again, that you trust, that you get on with and try to navigate the space together. Mm-hmm. Again, in a very similar kind of manner, like I did to my the way that I taught myself yoga, I taught myself lifting Mm -hmm. really, really early on. Like I was on bodybuilding.com and I was just looking at all those form videos and I was like, okay, cool. This exercise is for biceps. This is for deltoids. Mm -hmm. This is for glutes. This is for quads. And I learned myself. Mm -hmm. Perhaps that's again, like the curiosity that I had coming from the sporting background that, you know, I was used to, but it really helped me feel confident Mm -hmm as well so maybe that's an avenue as well to go down or at least if it's not a big commercial gym that you want to go to finding a slightly smaller more like bespoke gym community-led gym Mm -hmm. where you feel comfortable and safe like we've got a couple around Brighton where it's like small group Mm -hmm. PT or small group coaching and they're really really beneficial because you get quite close with the coach you get close with the other people and it's a less intimidating environment so Mm -hmm. there are a couple different options to kind of explore I really like this idea of creating your own way of whether it's you know having a what did you say a lifting bitch face like having your own like (laughs) or putting your headphones in the last gym that I worked out at in Chicago before I moved Mm -hmm. I chose it because my my trapeze teacher was there and I would work out with him. But I would go there on my own because it was near my house, but it was where a lot of police officers worked out. And I remember just being like, out of sheer (laughs) stubbornness, I am taking up space in your fucking gym because I bet you're out there causing all kinds of problems. And I would just be like running on the treadmill with like stink face. (laughs) They're like, I can't pick up things as heavy as you can, but at least, you know, it's like I like I was creating all these narratives in my head about like (laughs) how I was somehow righting the wrongs, like balancing injustice. (laughs) But it helped me take up space in that gym where I was surrounded by police officers. That's it. So, I mean, like create a narrative, I think, about Mm -hmm. about your situation or. yeah. Yeah. And like also. That is the main thing, right? In these spaces that aren't, you know, traditionally for <laughs> everyone, the biggest thing and the the biggest like form of protest is to take up space. Yes, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Take up that space and like don't be afraid to like walk around and like even if you feel like you're putting on a little bit of an alter ego, mm-hmm. if that's what helps you kind of like navigate it, then freaking go for it. Like that's how I. I'm very, very comfortable in like the powerlifting, Olympic lifting area mm-hmm. in my gym. But when I have to go into the bodybuilding section, I step into a slightly different role where like I can feel my posture changing and the way that I strut around. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like I'm here. I'm taking up that space and I'm allowed to use the equipment just as much as like anyone else mm-hmm. right now. And that feels really good. And it's always really, really interesting to see other people's responses to that mm-hmm. as well and be like, oh, yeah, cool. And, you know, my favorite thing recently has been I've been in the lifting area like loads over the past like five and a half years that I've been in Brighton at my gym. And more recently, it's only been women there and femme presenting people. Come and on. I'm like, Hello. 
yeah it's super super cool to see and to see how it's changed over the years as well and just seeing like women and more femme presenting people feeling more comfortable mm-hmm. taking up that space yeah. in the gym environment as well so yeah I think social media has probably done bits for that but we're still like a long way off yeah, from sure. creating like equality sure and I think I want to I'm I'm going to throw this in here for for cis uh-huh. women and I don't uh-huh. know how this affects trans and non-binary folks based on hormone fluctuations uh-huh. but for cis uh-huh. women weightlifting is one of the best things you can do to balance your hormones and yeah. to ensure a nice transition into perimenopause and menopause uh-huh. so it's super uh-huh. you know like just think about your hot flashes people like Think about oh think God. about the future of your hot flashes. I'm not there yet, yeah. but I think about that now. I'm like, mm-hmm. am I trying to be like my mom who's got her fan out mm-hmm. and like no shade to my mom? You know, she's <laughs> it's like but sh- she's pulling her fan out and she's sweating balls everywhere she goes. And yeah. I'm like, if I pick up a heavy thing now, mm-hmm. can I avoid some of that? In yeah. 20, 30 years, 30 years. My mom's 30 years older than me. And I also think like times are starting to change where you step into a gym environment and it'd be a real obvious split between like who was using the cardio mm. equipment and who was using like the bodybuilding and weightlifting equipment. And that's because of diet culture. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, women were told to be as small as possible. And if you lifted a weight, you were suddenly going to blow up like Arnie. (laughs) (laughs) Like (laughs) the reality of that, like, honestly, whenever someone says that to me, I really have to hold in a laugh because I don't think people actually realize how difficult (laughs) it is to reach that point of like muscular hypertrophy, like people who are bodybuilders are in there like two maybe even three times a day the amount of food that they're eating as well like their maintenance like is absolutely insane so like you picking up a weight twice a week you're not gonna like you know blow up but I get that that's such a stigma that we have from diet culture but it's starting to slowly slowly shift and change which is dope. Olive tell us where we can find you online. Yeah so to keep everything incredibly easy, all my social media, so my Instagram, my YouTube, my website, my Facebook is all just yoga with Olive. <laughs> Love it. And I did have a podcast way back in the day with my friend Grace, and it was called the Chaturanga Podcast. Oh, because <laughs> we used to chat. I get it. But that's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> little play on little words. Clever. But that's been dormant for a couple of years. But what I enjoyed about that was that we got to speak to other coaches as well in the sphere and kind of learn about their journey. But for the most part, it just yoga with Olive. All right. <laughs> and I highly recommend looking up some of Olive's videos and oh. I love the little movement snacks. Thank you. So <laughs> Olive is just going to give you some really creative ways of moving and looking at your body and like little bite-sized things that you can do, just like get up off the couch real quick. And and I love that. Yeah. Highly recommend. Again, it doesn't have to be like a big serious thing, right? It can just be five minutes yeah. when you're boiling the kettle. Yeah. <laughs> Last question, Olive. Uh-huh. Grilled cheese sandwiches. Would you call them grilled cheese sandwiches or would you call them cheese toasties? Oh, shit. I would probably say grilled cheese sandwiches because... I grew up in Dubai and there was a lot of more American pop cultural references. 
Yeah. That's cheese toasties. I'm like, mm. no, this is a question we ask as well, because my co-host found okay. out that they call it cheese toasties in the UK. So we're asking anyone who <laughs> I interview. over so, here. Yeah. And like in a really weird way, a grilled cheese sandwich sounds more delicious than a cheese toast. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. You get a better image, but maybe that's just because we're consuming American media. So the cheese toasty is giving me dryness, you know, and I don't want that. Well, to be fair, a cheese toasty is probably pretty dry because if someone <laughs> who calls, sorry, I, I'm not going to shit on British cooking today. That's not what we're here for. Uh, we can't. Live, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for another time. And Olive, maybe we'll have you back after you launch this yeah. project that you kind of mentioned, because mm -hmm. I'm very curious and excited to hear about that. And it sounds like it's going to do Sweet. great things. Here's hoping. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for being on today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Anne. Yeah. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to chatting again. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks to our guest for an amazing conversation today. To find out more about today's guest, you can visit www.headheartbiztherapy.com slash podcast. You can find Sarah at, at headheartbiztherapy on Facebook and Instagram. And you can find Anne at at spareroomwellness or spareroomwellness.com. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.